Welcome everybody to our newest episode of Pep Talk with me, Adam Moses, Ted Barnett, and uh, Sunday Times bestseller and ex-Twitter Vice President, Bruce Daisley. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So, Bruce, there's something we like to ask people regularly on our podcast, which is if you could meet anyone for a meal, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Yeah, I mean, obviously it used to be Kanye West, but obviously that, that ship has sailed. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, my, my view is, I don't know, I, I've met a few people who along the way, and I've always thought the big thing, the big thing for me is I've thought what's in it for them. I, and so unless there's something in it for them, you know, the idea of meeting someone, it's really awkward. Um, probably, maybe it would be deeply unappealing for you as an audience, but I'm, uh, uh, for me, probably someone like Tony Blair or Barack Obama. Um, <laughs> sorry, but uh, I'm sort of strong, strongly in favour of, of people who can get stuff done. So, <laughs> I mean, that, that's a very, very good justification for it. Um, also, as a university podcast, we'd like to sort of look into what you've done sort of before you got to where you were, so before you've done all your career. So what was your most important learning experience? Why? Yeah, I mean, look, here's what I learned. Um, basically, I was at York. I studied economics, economic history, and um, and what I realised is I, I didn't I, I didn't know anyone who had jobs in well, you know, my dad was not someone who was able to work because of illness, and then uh, so I didn't have any connections. And actually, what I did is I did this cartoon CV of my life, <laughs> and I sent it out to like. 30 record companies and actually even though I ended up getting a job in radio rather than record companies that's what got me the job and basically my learning from that is that sometimes knowing what you want to do and trying your very best to get the attention of the people responsible is the best thing so what I advise everyone right now is I say look you know there's a direct <laughs> there's a direct route to every single person that you ever see in the media and in, in jobs and that's post them a letter because most people get zero letters. And if you do something that captures someone's attention and imagination, um, most offices, pub, uh, addresses are public, you can send something and you can, you know, you can get a sort of second of, of someone's attention. So, you know, what, um, what I always sort of think is, uh, you know, the, the more you can think about what you would like to end up doing or where you would like to be, and then write someone a letter and make them care so but that was how I effectively got my first job and in um uh, you know and, and that's that's what I've learned along the way really very interesting so you, you prefer the letter to the email then yeah everyone gets a thousand emails a day yeah honestly if you think anyone's gonna spend any time reading your email and spending any time on your email what what we often do we we make the mistake of confusing message sent and message received you spend ages writing an email you think okay people are going to read this they're going to really care about it. they're not it's going to land in their inbox they're going to go what's that okay archive or, or delete and they're going to give it eight seconds if you send a letter to them and you know most bosses most office people are in the office about three days a week now so if you send something personally you know i would send something that's 
bigger than the letter, I would send something that's maybe a small, a small parcel, you know, a, a mug with your face printed on it, uh, <laughs> a, a balloon with uh, a photo of you making a cup of tea on it. You know, send something that's going to get someone's attention and immediately they might be invested in you. But, you know, you, you're just as well clicking like on one of their Instagram photographs as sending an mm. email. No one's going to read it. I think it's, it, the statistic is it's, uh, office workers receive up to like 200 emails a day or something on average now. Absolutely. It's uh, ridiculous. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're not going to get any standout. And whatever you, you know, if you try and bring personality to it, it'll look laboured as an email. Um, most people sort of, you know, by necessity, have just developed a ruthlessness about answering emails. Mm. Okay, Ted, do you want to ask another question regarding university? Well, with with York, what do you think was the best thing the university provided you with to go on into your career? What what did what did the uni that we're all at now give to you? Would you say? Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed the uh, the time I spent at York. Three years was definitely enough. I didn't want to spend any any longer in um, <laughs> in education, really. And you know, the the advantage was you could you could get around one the, one of the things that helps most people is the ability to bump into friends without planning. You know, one of the things that brings you happiness is like, if you can bump into people, certainly when you go to big cities, you, you lose that ability to just, <laughs> just build a, a sort of ca casual element of your life um, mm. and bump into people. So, you know, the, there's a delight of being in a sort of small, medium sized, medium sized, I guess, university. Um, so I enjoyed that. Um, I enjoyed living in York, good place. Uh, so mm. yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I felt like I was left at the end of three years, not knowing how I was going to get a job. And in fact, I spent the best part of a year really struggling to get a job afterwards. So mm. you know, I think anything that you can do to give more attention to that, uh, you know, anyone who's going to be leaving work college in the next year, two years, like me, is going to leave in a recession. And the truth about that is that when you look into recessions, <laughs> they can have a lifelong impact on your opportunities. If you go into the job market in a boom time, it gives you an unfair advantage. So, you know, forewarned is forearmed. If you can think now about what can I do to try and get, <laughs> get myself a job and, and get myself an opportunity, the more you can put prep into that now, I think the better. Yeah. Definitely, it's 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 a similar piece of advice that we've had um, uh, from some of our previous speakers as well. Just in terms of that uh, cherishing that time that you have at university, where you, where you can just meet friends, you know, unplanned and uh, and really really just you know enjoy your time at university and make sure you get stuck in. Especially now, obviously, in like times of economic hardship, in terms of um, going into you know looking at what you want your career to be and then taking those steps. Um, you know, to, to, to get your foot in the door as it, as it's yeah. said. And look, you so, know, the, the thing I would emphasize is remember all the time, what everyone else is doing. Um, you know, so the first thing that you think I'm going to try and get a job. So what do you do? You go to Google, you search CV and you click on the first link. And so what have you done? You've done what everyone else did. And mm. so don't be surprised if you, when you've, send an application that looks like everyone else's application that no one replies to you because you haven't done <laughs> you haven't done anything that makes your application look different better more interesting so you know the thing i would constantly advise is what can you do to make yourself seem different what can you do to stand out what can you do to make someone care about you 
I think that would be sort of my advice, really. Mm. Moving on now from university to your area of expertise of work, uh, of work culture, uh, lifestyle in in work. Um, I've formulated a, f- a few questions here that I'd, I'd like to ask you. Um, so the first one is uh, being, what strategies did you employ during your time at Twitter to create headspace within the workforce to try and contribute to a positive culture among your workers? Yeah, I'm obsessed with workplace culture. I think, you know, the the critical thing um, to to create good workplace culture, people have to feel like they can have an impact on their work. They need to feel like uh, they're not just going to be in the the curse of modern day working, which is sort of back-to-back meetings. And Mm. especially when you first join the (laughs) workforce, you can find that you're in back-to-back meetings with... um, with you're not even asked to do anything you're just on these relentless zoom calls where Mm. um you you feel like you're having no impact so the thing that you know i always set about with my team is trying to ensure what can we do to give everyone the opportunity to have some some impact input some some influence on what gets done and you know just to to feel like oh wow i'm i'm actually getting uh a part of the job done here so you know playing that part and and trying to give them some sense of sort of autonomy is it was a big motivator for me yeah so not not talking about work actually getting them to you know get the work done yeah Yeah, give them that sort of enrichment Exactly. Trying to to make people feel like, oh, wow, I'm actually having an impact here rather mm. than, you know, I'm just waiting to <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for someone to give me permission to do stuff. Yeah. It almost sounds like you're maximizing the individual's autonomy to like make the difference within the whole team structure. So if you were saying people work working together to eat, everyone gets little bits of their jobs done. It, it feels like as well as building the individual autonomy, it sounds like the focus is also on building the whole team. That makes sense. The whole obviously positive work culture within the yeah. entire. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And you know, the 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 details you discover um, in workplaces are really interesting. The, the biggest predictor of someone's engaged in their job is whether they've got a, a best friend at work. And you know, most organisations don't care about things like that. They don't care about dynamics like that. Um, but you know, if you can set people up so they feel that like I've got a good friendship group here, I feel I feel that I've got someone to moan to when things go wrong. I've got someone to talk to when I'm stressed, you know, trying to create those dynamics, make, making people feel like, oh, I've been given some responsibility. Um, mm. There's nothing worse than, you know, you're just constantly asking permission if you can do something. Um, and so, you know, that's some responsibility <laughs> can make people feel like, oh, wow, I've got, I, I've got a good job here. I'm, I'm, I'm able to have an impact. So, you know, I'm, I'm obsessed with those things, really. Yeah. So during your time then at Twitter or any other sort of like roles that you've had where you've been, you know, seen as a leader, how confident that any changes you made, um, which resulted in like an improvement in performance was a sustained improvement and not just a Hawthorne effect? Hawthorne effect, what an interesting word. So um, the... The most critical thing, I think, is that you sort of measure it over time. Um, mm. What you can normally tell in team dynamics is when uh, when teams are performing well, when people report feeling happy in their, their own situation. And, you know, some of that is measuring their own fulfillment. Um, mm. uh, we, we often measure team dynamics. So, you, 
often in work, the workplace, you do something called a pulse survey. So you say to someone, do you feel motivated? Do you feel able to do your best work here? And albeit that you look at it anonymized, you can get a clear sense between different teams. Okay, this team seems well motivated. This team seems like they're achieving good results. This team seem a bit beaten down. And, you know, normally mm. that's because the their boss um, is maybe a little worried that if they give them too much scope, they they won't live up to that expectation. So it's just about sort of managing those things, you know, in the manner that you would, um, you, you know, you'd manage a sports team, you'd manage a sort of uh, any other team. It's like trying to make sure people are having fun in their jobs is a really critical component, yeah. really. So it's like really important for uh, leaders to adopt the, you know, the correct sort of leadership style for their workforce, make sure that a leader knows the, the teams that they're working with and how they're going to best respond to, a certain type of you know leadership style yeah exactly 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 okay uh so last question now on uh in terms of uh your career and what you're interested in workplace culture um is how important do you think it is to still have face-to-face leadership in this increasingly digital world and you know all these zoom calls and and what have you yeah, I mean, the critical thing about face-to-face is that normally more trust is built by it. And um, and that's not to say that you can't have <laughs> trust remotely, but there's mm. something about being able to look in someone's eyes and feel, okay, they definitely understood me, or being able to look in someone's eyes and feel, um, I definitely understand where this person's coming from. Um, that's not to say that it's a prerequisite, and, you know, great teams have been built without that, but what you do find is that there is something innate in humans. It's sort of neuroscientists would call it mirror neurons. The, the fact that when you see someone um, mm. and they appear to be sort of on your wavelength, there is something, there is something visceral that just transforms in, in our experience. And so, you know, I think while that can be learned, it, it plays a big part. What you discover is there's a whole load of organizations that are completely remote. But what they will talk about is that the time they do spend face to face with each other has a really big bearing on the levels of trust in the team. You know, they'll say, oh, yeah, we meet up every three months. We meet up every six months. And the face to face part is where they sort of build that sense that they're all in it together. Mm. So, um, you know, I think. It's really interesting if you chat to job candidates now, job candidates often say, look, you know, my appeal is to not work face to face, to to be able to do my job wherever I want. Um, But what you find is that it sort of does reflect stronger teams do have a stronger sense of togetherness. You know, not that they're just freelancing and doing a job, but that they feel a bond with each other, really. Yeah. Yeah. There's a follow up question I was just going to say with the... um... We're going to talk about sort of new candidates looking to sort of work from home. I feel like from what I've seen a lot of times with friends, maybe here, maybe at home, when applying for new jobs, there's lots more sort of blended opportunities, half in the office, half out. Yeah. What is your opinion on that for new candidates? Because obviously, if you have an established workforce and you have a new candidate come in, what what are the um, how do you think the positives and negatives can stand from that blended approach? Would it be better? For- all face to face for a first few months before they move to digital or 
Yeah. Um, so it's often referred to as hybrid and, and uh, you know, the challenges of it are often economic. So, you know, to go into traveling to city center and, you know, whether you're coming from somewhere that you're you've paid to rent yourself or maybe you're staying with a friend or you, you're living with family. And so quite often your commute will be a long commute or an expensive commute. So the challenge we're often presented with is that if we go into the office five days a week, the challenge of of going in five days a week, buying food when you go in there, suddenly it's you know extra few hundred pounds a month to go in and do that rather than maybe if the workplace is mandating two days in the office, um, mm. you know it's a, it's a substantial saving. You can you know you can stay at home, you can have beans on toast rather than going in and having to yeah it's, it's a sub- substantial investment. So no doubt there are clear benefits in being in and around the office especially when you're starting your career but it also ramps up that financial imperative that the demands upon your balance balance sheet are going to be a lot tougher to go in every day so i think that's the trade-off a lot of people have said that most of their learning that they do on the job about 70 percent of all the the learning we do in our career takes place outside of training sessions like listening to the there'll be someone in every office who's an incredible negotiator and you can't help but be dazzled by hearing someone who is you know someone's just done something cancelled something kicked off about something and then you see someone pick up the phone and within 15 minutes they've got the person at the other end of the phone agreeing to something that no one believed possible it's dazzling when you witness it every office has got one someone like that and what you know is that actually me just hearing those conversations i'm going to learn so much i'm going to be able to do things and never believe possible so there's no there's no doubt that even though uh, working remotely has been liberating it's it's been transformative for you know certain members of the workforce what, what you often discover is that you know there's also elements uh, uh young younger workers often report feeling uh, that they're victims of sort of microaggressions you know other young women report feeling microaggressions from older male colleagues or uh, members of sort of ethnic minorities say that you know they don't feel scrutinized in the same way when they work remotely so there are definite benefits from you know this balance this hybrid working but um i think you know spending some time in the office seems to be advantageous for allowing our career to develop really do you think that remote working has has caused this sort of explosion in 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 uh, time spent in meetings uh, among uh, workforces, where it's a I suppose it's a lot easier to organise and spin up a Zoom call than it would be to get people in the office at this time to be sat in this meeting. Yeah, absolutely, and and we all know it well that you know uh, the the idea that you attend a lecture and it's remote and you spend the same amount of attention that if you'd gone to the class, we know that that's an illusion. You know, you've got four ta- Chrome tabs open, you sort of just checking the latest on your, you know, your Watching messages. The football. Exactly, yeah. exactly that. You know, you've got other stuff going on. Uh, so we know that. <laughs> and so, you know, the idea that you could spend 20 hours a week in meetings that you're not really paying attention, sort of a miserable way to spend a life, really. So, you know, that's it. Trying to reduce the amount of time that companies spend in meetings is is a big obsession for the best organisations. Can we get people in fewer meetings? Can we give them things that are going to really stimulate them going to give them something interesting to do because you know it's good for their own development the truth about work is it's this sort of brutal hierarchy where the amount we earn when we first enter the workforce isn't enough 
to have any aspirations of achieving anything in life. And, and so, you know, we need to get on, we need to develop, we need to progress if we're going to have any opportunity to, to thrive in, in modern living. So, you know, getting on and developing has to be the main focus of younger workers, I think. Mm. Why do you think that people want to have more meetings? Like, is, is there a, I mean, you, you mentioned before, like sort of um, like, you know, psychology around, you know, around like, uh, you know, uh, work culture. Do you think there's a, like a psychological need to be in a meeting or to offer uh, leaders to want more people in meetings? Normally it comes down to this, doing written work feels like hard work. Doing talking mm. feels dead easy. And so, uh-huh. you know, if someone says to you, can you go and I want you to spend half an hour working on this document, seems like hard work. You'll spend 15 minutes of the half an hour. You'll feel distracted. It feels it feels like hard work. It feels like something that's sort of, you know, cognitively challenging. If, if mm. instead of that, someone says, come along to this meeting, that feels dead easy. What, talking? Yeah, I can do talking. And so that's what happens. You know, everyone is on the side of doing the easy thing rather than the thing that feels mm. boring. Um, uh, so that's it. So, so the number of meetings has gone up by two and a half times in the last two years. More people gosh. are spending the average, the, the majority of their working week just sitting on video calls or, or sitting in meeting rooms. Do you think that we can that we'll we yeah, can that, go back to you know before that and and cut down our meeting times or do you think it's just going to rise exponentially yeah i mean look you know these are interesting questions to ask if, if you are sort of out there looking for a job it's really good to say to people you know i'd love to hear more about your culture what you think defines a productive culture you know what do you think is the best way to get the 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 most out of your talented workforce what's your philosophy on meetings you know asking these a few things like this helps you know, demonstrate to prospective employers, well, okay, you sort of this person's keen to have a productive impact here and get the the job done really. So um yeah. you know, I think what you'll find, the really interesting thing is sort of people enter the workforce, you'll find some of your mates will end up doing jobs that are very different to to other mates, you know. Some of them will go to a culture that's very hierarchical. You have to be at your desk five days a week. It's all about being seen to be at your desk. Others, people sort of say, right, okay, here's what success looks like here. I'm going to be your mentor. I'm going to sort of try and give you advice on the fly, but let's try and get more done. It's really fascinating. Like different companies have different philosophies. And the more you can, you know, interrogate your friends as they get jobs, understand what their working environment is like, um, find a good fun place where you know the obsession for me was i used to work at google i used to work at twitter and, and those teams there i knew that great workplaces um people laughed all day you know they feel motivated they they go home mm. saying i tell you what you know i've worked quite hard today but that's been a good crack and i think you know understanding that there's a dynamic between the things we enjoy and the things we we work hardest at is a sort of critical learning really mm. okay so now i'd like to move on to uh to twitter and uh, the yeah. current controversies around uh, the Musk takeover of Twitter, because I think I've seen uh, some of your writings online, you seem quite critical of the Musk takeover. Um, and uh, I, I, I've I've read on Twitter from uh, uh, a prominent uh, philosopher, um, and he's described the Musk takeover as a political event comparable with the storming of the Bastille. So what extent would you agree with this and why? Um, 
Yeah, I'd, I'd need to know the context of that. I mean, look, you know, Elon <laughs> Musk uh, is pr- pretty evidently someone who doesn't really get a lot of pushback from the people around him. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he sort of turned up at the Twitter office carrying a sink because he yeah. wanted to do a joke. And this was a day before he sacked half the workforce. So, you know, pretty crass. While he was sacking half of the workforce, he was tweeting. He was he was sort of having jokey correspondence with people who were accusing him of being an alien. And he's just... It's pretty crass, actually. You know, at, at some point in our lives and our careers, most of us will lose our job. And all you want to do in that situation, especially if you've got, you know, rent to pay, bills to pay, you know, you, you're daunted by what this will mean for your life. You just want to know that you've been treated with dignity and treated with respect. And, you know, for someone to be fired and then minutes later, they're, jo- they're bust to be joking about it just feels rude and disrespectful i think most of us you know we just want to be treated with respect in life um and it's pretty evident that uh the the benefits of being a billionaire haven't imbued him with any sense of grace most of us i think would think if we never were to have any financial issues for the rest of our life if we were going to be in such a, a wonderful position that anything we wanted we could we could purchase then you'd Mm -hmm. hope that it would remove this sort of toxic competitive element that exists in the human spirit and actually we'd set about trying to make other people's lives easier but it's it's sad that unfortunately that hasn't um that hasn't had the effect on him and so you know i i think for for me setting about bringing her back back undemocratic racist fascistic voices isn't a step towards progress and and it's very easy to label it as um in favor of free speech but you know when those free speech when those voices aren't intent on offering free speech to others then Mm. when when they're intent on taking freedoms away from other people either because of their gender or sexuality or because of their ethnicity um i don't think that's progress so you know what a wonderful position he finds himself in to be uh, so able to spend $44 billion on something. Um, but it's it's a shame he couldn't ask, act with a bit more decorum, really, and a bit more mm. dignity. I think Do you think... Quite a question. Go on, Tad. Go on, Tad. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, obviously, following following the mass sort of... Well, I, I, I might not be the word you'd use, but sort of culling that Musk has had of a lot of staff. We've obviously seen some more senior members of Twitter resign and start to leave. And some people have per- sort of suggested that this is the beginning of the end for Twitter with senior quite central figures now leaving under Musk's leadership. What do you think of this? Do you think that this is like sort of a much more broad question, but do you think Twitter is going to remain the sort of emblem of discussion and debate which it has been for quite a lot of i'd argue the 21st century in the social media sort of sphere yeah i mean look you know the critical thing about twitter is that um uh and any social media is it's got a network effect to it so um meaning that it's um you know one of the the reasons why it's appealing is that these a, a large range of of different voices there and it's only ben, it benefits from having them all there so you know what we've witnessed along the way 
is that people have set up alternative social networks. There's been uh, there's been alt right, there's been right wing social networks, and the reason why they don't have any stickiness to them is that when you're just hearing the same voices all uh, all of time, it loses the magic of it. There's something nice about going on and seeing sports stuff, music stuff, popular culture. You know, seeing people tweeting about. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. You know, one thing that characterizes Twitter normally is that it's a, a place where insiders share insight into to what they're doing. You know, Twitter benefits from um, from people, uh, Twitter benefits from, you know, it's a great place to hear the latest about what's happened to the prime minister. It's a great, it's a great place to hear what's the latest that's happening uh, with the team selections for the World Cup. And so, um, the network effect is a really valuable contributor to that. So, you know, I think anyone who writes it off um, probably is, uh, for for those reasons, is probably wrong. You know, there's certainly a risk Elon Musk might make the financials of it unsustainable and the, the business goes under for that reason. So, um, so as a result of that, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to know fully what will happen, but I wouldn't write it off right now until there's a clear replacement for it okay well i think we uh we're coming to the end of uh our half an hour together um so i just i'd like to ask one more question uh if you could give any piece of advice to current students here at the university of york what would it be yeah, just, you know, thinking about where you want to be and what you want to do. And uh, certainly I started with no network. You know, I, I started with no one I could ask for a job. Um, and so what I would say is that anytime you've got a clear mind of what job you want to do, where you want to go, think specifically about, you know, I would go on LinkedIn, see who's doing that job right now uh, or who works with those people and write a personalized, customized approach to them and it might be that you just say you know, look you know I'm, I'm so in awe of what you are I'm a student at York I'm doing this I don't know if you ever give a 15 minute zoom chat with prospective students but uh, if you do here's the one question I would love to ask you and just you know I, I would do a personalized approach um, from from my perspective I, I've ended up getting three of my best jobs from doing that approach each step of the way when I was more senior uh, just singling those things out and and you know when people buy into you as an individual um, they'll often give you the time of day so um, even if you haven't got a network that's what I would set about doing really well thank you very much Bruce thank you Ted good thank you for listening and uh, make sure you check out Bruce's new book Fortitude uh, which is available to buy from I assume any major book retailers thank you everyone